Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. welcome to episode nine of Out With Susie Ruffle. I can't believe we're already at episode nine. I have loved doing this every week. We've got one more rep next week of series one. I've loved all of the interviews. I've loved hearing from you all. It's just been wonderful. It's exactly what I hoped it would be and I've loved it and I get the feeling that lots of you have loved it too. I hope this finds you well today. A big thank you to everyone that's got in touch and rated and reviewed the show. Oh, this week has been a lot easier for me. I've got to admit Lockdown's feeling a little bit easier. The sun has been glorious. I've been out on my bike lots, which is, makes me very, very happy. I'm coming to you again this week from my little cupboard office studio thing. Now, lockdown is lifting a little bit next week, and I am very excited at the prospect of going to see my mum in her garden. Very luckily, it's just in time for her birthday, so I will be taking some cake too. Now, I hope you get to enjoy the nice weather in your own way this week as well. Before we begin, I wanted to... I wanted to talk about um, a book that's coming out this week. Now, if you listen to episode two, which was with Ruth Hunt, and if you haven't listened to it, please go back. It is a brilliant episode. Uh, Ruth has got a new book coming out this week, and it is called The Book of Queer Prophets. It is a collection of 24 essays from 24 writers about sexuality and faith, and it's been curated by Ruth. Now, I am such a massive fan of her. I think she's such a force for good in the world. I've just started reading it, but I'm already loving it. And that is what I'm going to be enjoying on my balcony this weekend. Okay, right, on with the emails. Sharing the correspondence from listeners is such a pleasure and a joy. And if you would like to get in touch and share yours, please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. Our first one this week comes from Manchester. Hi Susie, I hope you're well and taking care. I know you must be receiving a lot of emails at the moment about the podcast because it's bloody brilliant. Thanks very much. But like a lot of other people, it's got me reflecting on my own coming out story and how different everything is five years on. I work on an LGBTQ helpline, which I'm sure as you can imagine, has received a huge increase in calls since the lockdown began. I knew the job would be rewarding and difficult in different ways, but nothing can really prepare you for some of the lives you encounter on a daily basis. However, a really wonderful part of the job is often being the first person in the world someone comes out to, and being able to say all the things I wish someone had said to me when I first admitted it. Even though the helpline is completely anonymous, it feels like the biggest privilege when someone feels comfortable enough to come out to you. It reminds me that no matter what your age is, coming out can be absolutely terrifying if you don't have someone you trust to tell. I often find myself tearing up at the end of the line because 
I can imagine so clearly that heart-pounding, throat-closing feeling when the words leave your mouth for the first time and you're waiting for that reaction, hoping it's the good kind. The job has also helped me realise that I carried around a lot of shame during the first year when I was coming to terms with my sexuality, something that my dad in a recent phone call found incredibly hard to believe because he said, you seem to be so fine with it when you told me. Looking back, I probably did make it seem easy. I think sometimes people assume we come out and boom, that's it. We have the whole gay thing sussed out. If only it were that easy. Your podcast has helped me reflect on a lot of these things and I just wanted to thank you. I saw a gig of yours in Manchester with my mum last Christmas and the way you talked about your relationship with her really resonated with both of us. Looking forward to seeing you perform again in the future. Take care and stay safe, Amy. Well, Amy, I hope you take care and stay safe. It sounds like you're doing such important work on that helpline and how wonderful that it exists. And I'm sure that you've helped countless people. Thank you also for emailing in and thank you for coming to the show. Uh, Manchester is always a great place to play and it's always an absolute highlight on my tour. I was delighted that so many people enjoyed last week's episode with Jules. I was so happy that I could share a non-binary story on the show. Uh, Here's another email. Hi, I'm Alex. I'm agender slash non-binary. I've listened to the podcast each week from the beginning, but I've listened to Jules's episode four times since it came out three days ago. I came out as non-binary around two and a half years ago, but I didn't change my pronouns as I didn't like any of them. He and she didn't fit, and while they fitted logically, I found it too clunky to use. This week, however, I've asked my friends to switch to they and them, as hearing you use it so naturally and fluently for Jules felt really good to hear. I hope with practice, my friends and I can get to that point. Having top surgery a year ago has changed my life too. I can't tell you how good and free it feels to not have to wear a shirt. I accidentally joined a Zoom call shirtless with people who didn't know I'd had surgery last week, which was interesting, but they were cool about it. In my defense, it was a really hot day and I forgot. I've enjoyed watching your stand-up for a while now. I saw you live for the first time at the Edinburgh Fringe back in 2013. The fire alarm in the assembly rooms went off near the end and you did the last five minutes of the show in the car park outside. I hope to see you on tour once the world is back to some sort of normal and I hope there are more series of the podcast to come. Best regards, Alex. Thank you, Alex, for getting in touch. Um, As I said, it was so important for me to share a non-binary story. Jules is so brilliant about talking about themselves and I was so pleased that I got to help share their story. And I remember that show, Alex. It was such a long time ago now and I remember feeling so nervous for the whole of that fringe. Um, Thank you very much for coming though and thank you for sharing your story and I'm sending you my very, very best. Okay. On to this week's interview. It is with the writer Kaylee Llewellyn, who also happens to be a marvellous friend of mine. Today's guest is writer and performer Kaylee Llewellyn. Kaylee is a creator, writer, and executive producer of BBC's In My Skin, which got onto our screens just a few months ago and was immediately declared a hit, receiving glowing reviews across the board. In My Skin is a hilariously dark coming of age drama based on Kaylee's teen years growing up in Wales. Bethan, the show's protagonist, is dealing with all the trials and tribulations of high school, all the while hiding her mother's mental health crisis and working out her sexuality. It's heartbreaking, funny and raw. 
I was utterly blown away by the show and incredibly proud to call Kaylee my friend. The pilot alone won two BAFTAs. Kaylee is currently working on a number of shows, including season four of Killing Eve. She's also a BAFTA Breakthrough Brit for 2019, a broadcast hotshot, a BFI flair mentee, and the recipient of the BAFTA Rawcliffe New Writing Award. Welcome to the show, Kaylee. Thank you very much. That was Hi, mate. That was lovely to listen to. Very impressive. You're very impressive, mate. It's nice having your achievements condensed into one paragraph because it, it makes you feel great. But if you... Do you want me to text that to you later? <laughs> yes, please. You, you're a good writer. Well done. Next time you're having like a bit of a, a low day, do you want me to just text me? Be like, could you, could you just text me what you said? Yes, please. And I'll be like, oh, thank, okay, okay. I've, I've, okay, I've got this. I'm back in the room. So I've, I've been reading lots of reviews of In My Skin. Do you read reviews? Yeah, yeah. You do? Right. I mean, they were glowing like just so much great stuff people really loved the show what was it like like the day that it went out on telly for the first time I guess for the pilot um it was very nerve-wracking I mean I'm so proud of the show and and obviously you spend so much time I'm on set every day when we shoot it and then I've obviously already spent months writing it and then we're in the edit for months so you sort of get to this point where you're like numb to it really you, it mm-hmm. all becomes like white noise but then the day that it's coming out and you know the world not the world but people in britain are going to watch it it's it's scary i, I sort of was like shaking all day i was with my girlfriend on the day that it was going to come out and she was like are you cold and i realized it's because i was quivering and i was like oh no i'm just sort of terrified <laughs> and it's something that you'd you'd obviously been working on that project in particular for for i think a couple of years was it yeah 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 but you've been sort of writing for a lot longer i read in one interview you said that as a child you would sit with your nose on the tv screen watching french and saunders mm-hmm. did you always want to write or perform or be that person that was doing telly Yes, but when I was really little, I I simply didn't know writing was a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, this might be the same for you, where you're from. Like, I don't know actors, I don't know writers, I don't know performers. But what I did have was a TV, and seeing those, particularly women, be funny and have fun with each other and shine a light on each other I just thought that was like magic and I I couldn't get close enough to it like literally I could not get close enough to it I had to have my face on the screen and my mum always used to be like get away from there you're gonna give yourself square eyes <laughs> um but I just was watching it like I've got to be a part of that so so I moved I knew I was going to move to London from very young and I said I'm going to be an actress that's what I'm going to do and I, I did move here um and I trained as an actor but then as time went on and this sort of other world opened up to me and I realized I didn't want to say the words, I wanted to write the words. And so let's go back a little bit. What kind of child were you? Um, I was fantastic, (laughs) the real great kid. Um, I think I was quite well behaved. I know I was very well behaved. Um, My mum used to say this thing that she went into labor with me. I was born at the crack of dawn. That's why my middle name now is Dawn. Um, And it was a very easy birth. She was like in and out in a couple of hours. And then she was home in time to watch EastEnders. And then she always (laughs) says, and then you never caused me any trouble after that. So I think I was just quite easy, but I had very two older brothers that were very naughty. Right. And I have a younger sister who's also quite naughty. So the bar was quite low for me to be the good one. (laughs) And did you... Were you sort of going off into your own world as a child? Is that why the TV was 
Was it being somewhere else that was exciting, being somewhere that seemed bright lights and shiny floors? I think so, yeah. From very young, I always had that idea of this isn't where I'm supposed to be in terms of my my family and, and, and where I was from. And if anyone watches the show, you'll see I, I didn't have an easy childhood. Mm-hmm. And I think some kids process that in different ways. Some think this is my lot then this is all I deserve or there, there, there isn't anything else and I was the other side of going no 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 this can't be it I, I I have to find something more than this and so yeah I watched a lot of tv I read so many books I also had this like imaginary friend that was a mouse <laughs> um, we did we didn't have any carpet in my house it was just those like sort of bare fl- floorboards but not in the cool way that it is now like just this is mdf that someone is supposed to put something down on right. and there was a loose bit of wood at the top of the stairs and i used to lift the piece of wood up and i thought that there was a mouse in there that was my friend and i used to talk to this imaginary mouse about the stuff that was going down and who was wronging me <laughs> How old were you, do you think, at that point? I guess like five or six. It went on for a while, yeah. And so you're always drawn to be somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And and oftentimes, like, I was really close with my grandmother, and I know you were as well, weren't yeah. you, with your nan? Yeah, I was really close to my nan, yeah. That was my uh, safe haven. I just wanted, my nan always used to sit in the same armchair, and I felt truly happy when I could be sat on the arm of the chair next to her, like as close as I could get to her with her arm around me that's what that was where I wanted to be yeah you described your um nan as the calm in the storm of your childhood mm. or your teen years she didn't live with you though did she no she lived in Ely which was sort of like the rough side of the tracks um my mum had managed to get us a house in Whitchurch which was the kind of like slightly nicer area she my mum used to get a bus every day sort of like an hour to get to Whitchurch to queue at the council to get us a council house there because she wanted me and my sister to be able to go to a better school um, than the ones in Ely. So my nan still lived in that sort of slightly rougher area, but there were many long chunks of time where I would go and stay with her. Either my mum would like decide that we were leaving home and we'd move in with my nan for a few weeks mm-hmm. um, or things would get too much and I'd just take myself there for a week or two. And so it, it always felt to me that she she partly raised me. Mm. I know that feeling of sitting on your nan's armchair. I remember not long after my nan died, I really craved having a sandwich at her house mm, and yeah. a cup of soup. And a cup of soup and a sandwich at my flat is just not the same. It's not It's not just about the food, is it? It's the atmosphere and feeling safe and yeah. the company having your cup of soup with. Yeah, absolutely. So were you quite bookish at school? I'm a mix. We have to get this out right up top because it's the most important thing I can say about myself I'm a Gemini okay so there's always a duality to me and how Um, much do you believe in star signs quite a lot but that's such a like it's such a I don't know this about you do you not that no Emily will be utterly surprised because it's all I bang on about. But it's also a trope of being a Gemini that you bang on about being a Gemini. So I'm, I'm just <laughs> My like, a Gemini and I know that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I bet she bangs on go. about it, does she? <laughs> um, but what that means is I'm, I'm the twins. So there's always the duality. So I could be very bookish, but it has to be... It has to be something that interests me or the teacher had like excited me in some way or I fancied the teacher and I wanted to impress them. How often did you fancy a teacher? Quite a few times, yeah. Mrs Foley in primary school, still remember her. Mrs Higgins, maths teacher in high school. She had piercing blue eyes and I just thought, what a woman. 
<laughs> and you wanted to impress her I wanted to impress her yeah so I like would finish my work as like as fast as I humanly could so she'd think I was really smart and I'd sit by myself so no one could distract me and but then on the flip side if it wasn't that situation I think I could be a little shit it was like loud and disruptive and not in, not engaged so when did you first realize that you were not straight um I think probably when I was like 17 or 18 but it's also like the end of The Sixth Sense, the film where <laughs> then I look back at the previous 17 years and all the stuff is there. Like, I was obsessed with Kylie Minogue in Neighbours. Oh, me too. I mean, she, hot stuff, wasn't she? Sure, yeah. I couldn't get enough. And I had this VHS of Charlene and Scott's wedding. Charlene and Scott, yes. And there's this particular scene. I mean, I'm, I truly was four or something when this came out. But I can still remember the scene. She is getting ready to go to the wedding. She's at Marge's house, mm -hmm. Madge's house, and she's got a mint green dressing gown on and a face mask, and she's getting ready to get her dress on. And that was the scene I could not stop watching over and over and over. I just rewind it. And then, you know, you look back at that and go, oh, I fancied her. <laughs> Simple as that. But at the time, I don't know, you just, it's, it's easy to think, no, I want to be like her or I want to be friends with her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Emma Kennedy described it really well a couple of episodes ago when she said, um, I had a lot of lovely, intense female friendships. <laughs> yeah, I had loads of those. That is, <laughs> Which that is something perfectly that we sums keep it up. Coming back to when we speak to women on this show, the, the blurring of those teenage years where you spend so much time together and you, you know, you're, you're constantly like, wanting to be around them all of the time and holding hands and stuff anyway yeah yeah i think teen female teenage friendships are a platonic romance mm. whether you're a lesbian or not you, you fall in love with each other and you get into that situation where you speak as soon as you wake up and you're in school together all day talking 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 and the moment you get home you phone each other's house phone and the last yeah. person you speak to at night and if you fall out in some way then you feel sick in the way you would with your lover yeah and so it's it's very confusing as a um burgeoning lesbian because you're like all the girls feel like this yeah i assume we're all having these yeah very strong feelings about each other and getting really annoyed if they get boyfriends we're all feeling that yeah, right totally that, that's sort of what i wanted to capture in uh in in my skin there's coming out stories mm -hmm. um and then there's out stories but i almost wanted the like precursor to coming out the dawning realization that i'm feeling differently to how the other girls are feeling no i think you really get that right because when bethan goes to poppy's house and poppy falls asleep and they're sort of in bed together and yeah you get that feeling of her not quite understanding it all mm. and oh yeah i just i remember that feeling like and i remember being dropped for a boy like hanging out yeah. and then a sort of, when 15 happened you know, when we were all that bit older and everyone wanted a boyfriend, just being gutted. Yeah, I had gutted. the same thing. I had this friend, and, and actually this friend wasn't... Um, I, I didn't fancy her uh, then or even now in hindsight. We were just really good friends. Mm -hmm. And we sort of, when we were like 13, 14, had this pact of like blowjobs are disgusting. We will <laughs> never, ever give a blowjob. And I have been true to my word, unlike that little traitor. Um, <laughs> but then she, when, when we were like 15 or 16, she, she did give a blowjob. And all the other girls were like so excited. And they wanted all the information of how it had happened. It was someone we, we'd met at the big weekend, the, like, the fair oh, yeah. that comes to town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we all got dressed up to go and like buy candy floss and 
<laughs> just walk around all day. And it came out that she'd given a blowjob. And I felt like she had punched me in the gut and then spat on me. Like I, I couldn't look at her. I just thought, I cannot believe you've done this. You've betrayed me, which is so irrational. <laughs> Oh no, I completely, I remember I had a, a, a lovely intense friendship with a girl and then we were meant to be doing something, we were meant to be doing something on a Saturday that had been planned and then she was like, oh, James has asked me out Ugh. and I was like, oh, and? and she was like, oh, so I'm, I'm going to go to the red. Now the red was where I, I was quite into skating and skateboarding as a teenager and so the red was this bit of red tarmac that was really smooth <laughs> to skate on. <laughs> <laughs> it was on the seafront in Portsmouth. So she was like, um, I'm going to go to the Red with James. What? And I was, I mean, I was so gutted. Yeah, and it wasn't it's like hurt. we were going to kiss or have any sort of romantic feelings from her side, but we mm. were just going to be together and probably, probably, you know, hold hands and be a bit touchy feely. Yeah. And I wasn't even massively aware of how much I wanted and felt like I needed that. But so, in, so I just also went to the red and sort oh, of watched just hung out kids. like a stalker. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I sort of like just, yeah, I just sort of third wheeled it. She was like, you can come if you want. And so I skated down there and then watched them kiss for a bit and then skated home. Felt quite sad. Just crying the whole way. Wind blowing yeah. the tears from your cheeks. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of quite refreshing when you cry in the wind. <laughs> it is, <laughs> so actually, yeah. No one needs to know. I think that there is a feeling of like, it, it feels like a betrayal because whether you've computed this thought in your own mind or not, you, I did anyway, sort of think we're all in this together. We all hate boys and I don't need to address anything in myself as long as we're all in that together. And yes. when, the, when the sort of first few girls start breaking away from the pack it's like slowly a curtain is being drawn back from a mirror until you eventually have to fully look at your true self square in the face and go i'm not like uh, them am i and it feels very uncomfortable as that process is happening so what was what was school like for you because i'm sure lots of people um that are listening will have watched in my skin but i don't want to only focus on that i want to focus on sort of you as a person as well and so in my skin bethan's having a tough time she's on the one hand she's got this quite exciting part of her life which is this interest in a girl and two really good friends and school, which I don't think she's loving, but she's also not hating. And then mm -hmm. at home, she's got this sort of more difficult situation with her mum being sectioned and sort of having to live in a facility. So I know that quite a lot of it is sort of autobiographical for you. What was secondary school to you? I enjoyed it, really. Um, I think there's, on, on the sort of like first level of it, if, if you're going through experiences at home like I was, uh, where I couldn't always be a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I felt this sort of burden of responsibility to kind of, and, and this wasn't always true because I should say my mum suffers with bipolar disorder type one. And there were plenty of times where she was manic and had to be hospitalized and things were really bad. But then, there, you know, there were times when she was well and she was working two jobs so that she could let me pay for me to go to stagecoach and you know was she adored me and so it wasn't mm -hmm. always like this but but even in times when she wasn't well there was a feeling in my stomach of you need to keep this woman alive and, right. and my little sister as well just this burden of like if I take my eye off the ball my mum or my sister might die wow and that is the worst thing I can imagine that's a lot of pressure for a young person 
it's it weighs heavy and I, I developed OCD from the age of like 10 to 12 and it was all centered around keeping my mother and my sister alive and finding like little um you know routines that I could do that would ensure they didn't die and like if my mum was going to just pop to the supermarket and she didn't want the kids to come because we'd sew her down I'd insist on coming because the thought that she could be at Tesco's for half an hour without my eyes on her when something could happen was unbearable. So, so I went through this like really intense period of just, oh, just like had a constant stomach ache. Just felt worried all the time. And then I got to high school and I started settling and it became sort of enjoyable because it was, it was the place where you go and you can be a kid and I could be funny and I could have a laugh and just like, it's nice to, to not have responsibility for a bit. And, you know, that's not to say I was bullied, uh, you know, not not in the sort of like horrific way that some people are, but I, I did get some pretty bad bullying. I got called a dyke quite a bit. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that? I was sort of trying to wrap my brain to think how I used to react to that. I mean, I hated it. Um, yeah, I used to get called a lemon. They did. That's what they called lesbians at my school. I don't know really? why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Kids are so funny. I remember coming to London and saying to one of my friends, "Oh, yeah, like I bet they're a lemon, or I bet she's a lemon," and then being like, "That isn't a thing here." <laughs> like, <"Ugh>, okay, cool. <laughs> they've literally just taken the la sound, haven't they? And yeah. they've turned into something else. Yeah. yeah, but I used to get furious. Yeah, it's I, I didn't like it. it. It definitely really touched a sore spot. But the, I also used to get, I was so obese when I was in school, definitely like a prime case of someone eating their feelings. And right. I think the fat stuff bothered me more. Or they wouldn't even call me fat just when I walked past. they go, boom, bada, boom, bada, as oh, if I was shaking the floor. Um, it's horrible, but it makes for good writing material. Sure, sure. We've all got a, we've all got a draw on what we've experienced. It's all copy, says Nora Ephron. So, but exactly. even despite that, I enjoyed school and I loved drama. I loved English. I had a few really great teachers that I'm still in touch with now who sort of nurtured me, and it was a like, it felt like a release and and a place to get away from stuff. So, when was that? Because you described your sexuality as a welcome distraction mm. when you were a teen, and is that because you you were sort of having these crushes that you didn't yet call crushes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's sort of there was like one main girl that I kind of, in hindsight, had a massive crush on, and I just so happened to meet her at the time when things were getting really, really bad at home. Okay. And I think it's quite a uniquely teenage thing that you can compartmentalize. You know, I could have just been at the mental hospital with my mum and, and, and been through this really harrowing experience, but also leave there with a smile on my face because I'd be like, I'm going to meet her at the park now. Amazing. Um, right. And just throw myself into that and sort of almost like... It, it was um, exciting and distracting. And, you know, at, at that particular time, I could have gone to live with my nan, but she lived like an hour away. And I thought, well, if I go there, I'm not going to see this girl. So I'll stay here where things are fucking awful just so that I can be in this piece of pussy that I found. Um, <laughs> and and I, I'm, I'm saying that jokingly because nothing was happening between us. I just loved being near her. And that felt really exciting and like this massive distraction. And I could have no electricity and no gas and be sat in a freezing bedroom in my coat and not give a fuck because I was texting her. So you said you were about 17 when the penny dropped. Yeah. So was there a sort of a specific moment, obviously that you're willing to share, I'm not asking you to sort of read me your diary. Um, Yeah, no, well, so that, with that particular girl that I'm talking about, we sort of, um, 
we stopped being friends because she was like, it's too intense. Um, we need to stop. And I was like, what? This Where is not has intense this come enough. from? <laughs> Why? Um, so that sort of went badly. And, and, you know, again, in hindsight, felt like my first heartbreak, but I wasn't processing it that way then. And then um, a few months after that, we were doing a production of Sweet Charity in my school. And I always used to... I love it when that's a school production because it is so... X-rated. <laughs> well, every year I used to audition for the music. We do a musical and a play, and I'd audition every year because I wanted to be an actress. I was desperate to be in it. And every year I would get cast as stage manager or like lead props. I never <sighs> And that was the case on Sweet Charity. But what they did let me do, there was one scene in the brothel, effectively, where um, the women are dancing and all the men are singing and the men's voices weren't quite holding up. And I was sort of free at that moment. So they were like, Kaylee, if we put a Mac on you, can you come in and just sing this song and then get straight back off? And so in hindsight, I was like, they, they'd already cast me as a lesbian. I was like the one woman <laughs> uh, scouting out the talent in like a floor length coat. <laughs> so my one scene but um anyway we were, we were in rehearsals for that and uh there was sort of this like classroom that they'd cordoned off for everyone to go in and like get your costumes on and blah 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 and i was sort of running the show with my cans on which i thought made me look so cool oh i would have thought that was very cool wearing cans i remember hearing them being referred to as cans and thinking i mean that, by the way that's for anyone i mean we sound like such acty twats cans yeah. are when you're wearing it's basically headphones they're yeah. like it's that it's just headphones but when you're at school like i'm i'm really high really important let me, let me just speak to mrs ashton on the cans one sec <laughs> so i had my cans on and i was feeling fly as fuck um and i walked into this room and they were all getting ready and there was this girl in the year below lucy my school was massive by the way it was, it's the biggest school in britain oh wow and the third biggest in europe there's loads of us so it's sort of feasible i just did not know this girl and i walked into the room and like for, felt like angels were singing and like a ray of light shone down from the ceiling onto her head as she was just like laughing with her mates and i like and i think the cans had emboldened me and I strode over to her and was like, hey, I'm Kaylee. And she was like, hi, I'm Lucy. And I sort of chatted for a minute. And then I gave her my home phone number because like, I had a mobile, but we didn't have credit ever. And I was that like, is such a power move. I know. I was like, we should chat on the phone. And I'm, I was not that. I wasn't the cocky kid like that. I just knew that I had to be near her. It felt like a massive magnet was hovered over the classroom and it just dragged me towards her. And she became my first girlfriend did you know that she was gay she wasn't she wasn't gay she had a boyfriend who she'd been with for like three years which you know at that time is a long old chunk of time mm. but then i didn't know that i was gay either i just knew that the universe was telling me get close to her i just wanted to learn more about her i wanted to know every single thing and that sort of fed into giving her my home phone number because I was like, there's stuff I need to know. And so we just started like chatting on the phone and I, I couldn't listen to her enough, you know, like I'd ask her mm. questions and I just wanted her to monologue and I thought her voice was wonderful. And I thought the way she moved her hands was fantastic. Just everything about her, I was like, God, what a, what a woman. Isn't she so smart and clever and kind and thoughtful and sensitive. And then as time went on, you know, it started to get a bit more intense. And then Oh my God, I've not thought about this memory for ages. She texted me one night and said, I've sent you an email. And I was like, 
oh my god what could this be and i had we had like a pc in my um kitchen that the whole house oh, could use but that like shared never PC. worked shared pc <laughs> my sister was on it doing her like msn chats and i was like get off and she MSN was, like, no, was such a massive thing <laughs> msn was huge it was everything um setting like emo song lyrics is your status to convey oh, to your friends like, yes. Yes. Massive. so becky i eventually get becky off the pc and i sit down and the internet went and i was like oh i didn't know what the email was but i knew that it was life-changing and so my mum and dad had this like couple who they're friends with who leave live two streets away and i ran to their house and i knocked the door and the husband ollie answered and i said please can i use your, your pc and he was like yeah go on then so he let me in and I, I opened this email and it was Lucy saying, I think I've got feelings for you. It was like everything, like the world stopped, but she was still going out with her boyfriend. And, and to be fair, this, this is a bit of a weird thing. She sort of said, but obviously I've got him and I don't know. And like, should we just kiss so we know? And then that put so much pressure on me because I was like, if I kiss you and then you go, oh no, actually this isn't for me. My life will be over. And I'm never going to be able to kiss anyone ever yeah. again. And also, That's like, the end I'm of young. my kissing career. I'd done loads of, I, I was like big in the kissing game in primary school. I was kissing everyone. Whoa. And then I, I got to high okay. school and I, I stopped the kissing game. I hadn't kissed anyone in ages. And I was like, I'm probably bad at it. And like, what, what if I am? And then this is over and then she won't want to speak oh to me anymore. So you went through this weird period of like being really intense and touching a lot and like play fighting a lot but not kissing. And then she eventually left Alec and then we finally kissed and then we became girlfriends. We wound up like moving to London together. We went to university oh, together. Really? Yeah, went to the same uni. And we, we were like, we'll be in separate halls just so that we can have a separate experience. But as the cookie crumbled, we got put in the same halls. Her like room was directly below my room. Like I could bang the ceiling and she'd hear me. Um, and so that went on for a bit. And then we sort of, you know, it just, it fell apart. We were together for sort of three years. We broke up. I, I sort of was like, this isn't working. We broke up and she got straight back with Alec. And now they're married and they have children. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's how that went down. But I still think I still think of her so fondly. I'm so glad she was my first girlfriend. She's the first person that I opened up to truthfully. I mean, in my skin is about how much I lied all the time because I was so afraid people would learn what was going on at home and, and shun me. And Lucy was the first person I was truly honest with. And she was so kind. And she would come to my house when things were really bad. And like my house was infested with fleas once. And she just... I don't know. I look back now and think, what a, what a wonderful woman. She just accepted mm. me and she, she helped me clean the house. And I'm so glad that was my first experience of someone making me feel safe. And love. And, and love. And lovable. Yeah. Lovable. Exactly that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, although it's a very different situation, but you know my first ever girlfriend, Faye. Mm -hmm. who was at my Hindu that we were all at a few weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, we're still really good friends and my girlfriend loves her. And I think so fondly back on, because I, I I think I came out the week before I met her. Wow. Oh God, you were, you were a smooth mover to get a girlfriend that quickly. I mean, I was on Gaydar Girls. I was absolutely desperate <laughs> to get a girlfriend. Do you remember Gaydar Girls? No, I don't. Oh my God. When you got a message, it went, doo -doo -doo, and <laughs> it was the most exciting thing in the world to be like oh my god a message has come in who's it gonna be from <laughs> but yeah she was just the first person that I was ever really honest with and that I was completely myself in front of and she mm -hmm. was the person that told me I should do stand-up really 
Yeah, she was like, you've got to, you've got to give stand up a go. And she came to so many early gigs where there were like four people in the audience and she made up a fifth and she'd sit there smiling. And I just, I look back and I'm just so happy that 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 was my first experience of like proper love. Mm, it's so lucky and it can, it can go so many other ways, can't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. And actually, I mean, my, my girlfriend now, Emily, who, who you know very well. I do. When I first met Emily, there was there were traits in her that I mean she's very very different to Lucy and they look very different and their their personalities are different, but the similarities that they both have that I've been very drawn to is they're both very empathetic, mm-hmm. kind, sensitive people. They both care a lot about the world and care a lot about people. And I was really drawn to it in Lucy. And when I met Emily, I saw it straight away, and it was a massive draw. So where did you go to university? Was it in London? Yeah, Goldsmiths. And so did you enjoy your time at university? You were out, presumably? I enjoyed my time in London. I did not enjoy my time at uni. I just, I wanted to get away. I knew I wanted to come to London. I had fairly good grades. And so I sort of knew I could get into where I wanted to go. And I just knew that was in London and they were good for drama. So I didn't even come to visit it. I, what I wanted was the student loans because I couldn't move here without student loans right so okay that's why I signed up um and I literally never attended I went for about a week and I, I'm very accustomed to being around middle class people now I suppose I have become middle class myself really yeah me too yeah but when I first got here I found it suffocating I became really shy I didn't know how to chat or everyone else seemed to have skills in chit chat and they knew how to like hug people when you meet and be like how are you and you know just the media chit chat that we do now and I wasn't versed in it yet and I I didn't like I didn't like being touched and I didn't like to touch and so being hugged was awful I just didn't like it but I was very lucky in that my dear dear friends who I grew up with in Wales had all moved to London at the same time so I just sort of got this job working at the London Palladium front of house Mm -hmm. and I went there and I earned like 25 quid and then I met my gay friends and we went to O'Neill's and we spent all the money we'd earned and I I basically just like at the end of the three years of Goldsmiths they didn't even have my name on any registers. They didn't know who I was. And I just sort of went and was like, here's all the work. And I passed with a 2-2. Wow. Mad. That's incredible without going to any classes. Hardly any. I'd sort of like pop into one, one a term to sort of be like, what work do you need for me? And then I just earned money because I wanted to go to drama school. Mm-hmm. And so I used my student loans and I worked two jobs the whole three years so that I could save the 10 grand that I needed to go to drama school. And that's what I did. Yeah. So by this point, were you then single? So Lucy was there for the first year, but that said, in in terms of being out, we weren't fully out, actually. I I still felt like um, lesbianism was quite a shameful thing. And I also still had a feeling in my head that I'm only a lesbian for now. I'll wind up with a man. Uh Um, And so we just kind of, and because she'd had a boyfriend as well, she wasn't fully up for coming out. Mm. So just, and as I said, our flats in uni were above each other. And so we just kind of pretended we were really good mates. And she would come into my room every night and, and so we weren't telling people, I just made out like this is my best mate from home. And then one of the girls in my halls, you know, when you do that awful thing where you, you try to write a text about someone, but you accidentally send it to them. She did that oh, to me no. and she'd written, Kaylee has her special friend over again. And so it was like, I, I, I sort of laughed about it. Um, I, she must've been dying, but then I had the did realization. Did you address of, it? I just said, oh, don't think that was meant for me. Um, and she said, oh, sorry. 
uh, but obviously they knew, of course they knew, but I, I didn't yet feel comfortable to just be out. I still, I had some deep seated shame from the way my father, uh, talks about gay people the way my family did. And I, it felt, if I'm being honest, it felt like something dirty that I needed to keep a secret. Hmm. And did that sort of shame stay with you for a long time? Yeah. And you know what? There's probably still a little bit of it now, even though I'm really proud to be a lesbian and I wouldn't have it any other way and I'm, I'm very out, but your, um, I don't know, those deep seated emotions that you feel in childhood, you, you can kind of logically train yourself out of them, but they remain in your back pocket. And sometimes they sneak in when, when times get rough. But oh. I was, I always remember we had like my next door neighbor was a friend of my dad's and he had two kids that we were really close with. And one of them was just, he was gay. He was one of those kids that from the moment he came out of the womb, there was no denying that was a gay child and he was my good mate. And I always used to spend time with him and, and his dad was my dad's good mate. And I remember my dad pulling me aside when I, when I probably got in his mind to like, you know, the age when you start to blossom, maybe I was at like 11 or 12 and he pulled mm. me aside and said, make sure you're not on your own with him ever. And I said, why? And he was like, just trust me. He's a pufter. Don't be on your own with him. And I thought he was wrong. I knew that the boy was my friend and I, like, I, I thought that was a horrible thing to say mm. and that he was wrong. But the suggestion that gay people were perverted and you shouldn't be on your own with them stayed in my mind. And then there was another near my nan's house, a few streets from my nan's house, there was a lesbian couple. They, they both had kids from a diff from their marriages to men and then they'd left right. each other and, and gotten together. And they were always spoken about in those terms, like stay away from them. And if you see their kids, do not go back to their house. Like, don't go in their garden. Oh, and I'm sure now yeah. my, my family are not homophobic and they know that I'm a lesbian and they love me. But it, mm. it was a different time. And I, I think now they'd probably be shocked that I even remember that. But those, you internalize those things. You go, if I tell them I'm a lesbian, then I, I become the dirty pervert that you shouldn't spend time with. Oh, 100%. I remember hearing things, overhearing things that my uncles might say about, oh, you know, like or watch out for him or watch out. And, you know, it does, mm. if you already are thinking, not even that I was thinking that I was gay at a super young age, but I certainly found that I was different. And it was something like those words were the things that my memory chose to like keep on the hard drive. Yeah. Like they're staying. And I think that like, even now, like I'm someone that's super out and, um, <laughs> got a podcast you know, called out. I've got a podcast about it and I'm very, you know, but even occasionally now I'll have a moment of, it's very occasional, but you know, have a sweep over my body of shame. Mm. And I, and I, it, sometimes when I get a bit of, uh, shit online, if I'm on a TV show or something and someone says, oh, how long until she mentions she's gay? How long <sighs> until she mentions she's a lesbian? And I, and, and there's sort of part of me that goes, oh God, maybe I, and then, no, what am I fucking thinking? Of course I'm yeah. going to talk about who I am. But it gets in your head, doesn't it? It makes you doubt yourself. It really does. It really does. And it taps back into those old shames, basically, and, and, and it can yeah, bring absolutely. it back to the fore very quickly. Absolutely. And so did you love, was London that thing that you dreamed of? Because I'm yes. similar to you here. I was desperate to move to London. London was this, it was on a pedestal in my mind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We'd, we'd done this like, I knew I wanted to live in London before I'd ever been here. But then when <laughs> I was about 10, my mum saved up and we did a, a coach trip. You know, you can like book these sort of package day trips mm. on a coach. And it was to come to London to see the Trooping of the Colours. 
and we'd saved up and you know you come there and back in a day and I remember it so vividly stepping foot off the bus and this sounds crazy but seeing people of a different ethnicity because where I'm from in Cardiff it's very different now but my little niche pocket was so so whitewashed Mm. and so seeing brown faces and hearing different accents and seeing tourists from like all these different places it felt like I'd done a tab of acid it was like technicolor I was my ears couldn't take in enough sound I just loved it and this like I probably was offending people but I kept doing impressions of the different like accents that I was hearing so I was like oh that's so delicious that's so wonderful and and so there thereafter I was just like that's where I'm gonna be um and that, that's how it was just the moment I got here I was like I'm never going back this is this is it this is home and when you were sort of 17, 18, and you were sort of working out your sexuality, did it seem to you that London would also be a place where that would be, where different types of people like that would exist? Totally. Like right. theatre and uh, like stagey sort of lovey people in Soho. And it felt like the place where I, I would find my tribe. I remember walking around Soho and being, not going in anywhere, but being stunned by stunned and delighted by all of it. Mm, yeah. Just seeing just... girls walking around holding hands. <gasps> So magic, isn't it? I remember the first like week or two that because Goldsmiths is in New Cross, which I'd never mm-hmm. been. I didn't even bother to visit the uni. I was just like, that gets me to London. Great. And I turned up on the first day and was like, oh, fuck, what's this? It's like run down <laughs> sort of gross high street. And for the first week, we were just knocking around New Cross. And I was like, I remember saying to Lucy, I just don't feel like we're in London. I'll know when we're in London, when we like go for a night out on Leicester Square. And I was obsessed with going to Chiquito's for dinner. <laughs> and we we did go into town. We got off at Charing Cross. We walked to Leicester Square. We had this like cheap ass meal in Chiquito's. And I was like, this is it this is london this is living and obviously then my um horizons broadened a bit but i mean i don't think i ever saw women holding hands in cardiff and then getting to london and seeing that it was like so exciting it's what straight people get to see on tv and on street Mm. time and they don't realize how lucky they are and how how starved we are that's why i feel so passionately about telling stories in my um, scripts of, of those nature, because I still think lesbians are starved of seeing representations of themselves on screen. And I don't know, just seeing that on the street, you suddenly go, maybe I'm okay. It's, it's validation. I mean, I mean, absolutely. And there's so little of it. I mean, the fact that me, you and our girlfriends are in a WhatsApp chat together and the picture <laughs> is L word as a joke, <laughs> yeah. it gives an indication to how little there is that we're still talking about a show or we, well, not that we're talking about it, but we've referenced a show in conversation that I know there's been a reboot, but the that ended a decade ago. Yeah, we've had nothing new since then to latch onto. We've had a couple of um, shows with bisexual protagonists over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. But again, that's bisexuality. It's, it's not quite the same. Um, no, and it's important and that needs to be, that certainly needs a platform, but also the sort of the lack of lesbian representation. Absolutely. I'm so starved for it. And you see it, you know, like on, in my skin now, we've got, I, I, I see this happening so fondly because it's the teenager I was, but we have sort of young 15, 16 year old female fans. And I don't know whether they're out or not, but they sort of make these compilation videos of the first series of um, the moments when Bethan and Poppy touch. And like the lesbian stuff in this series is so light touch. Cause as I say, it's a dawning realization that you're gay, but they kind of yeah. like splice together these 90 second videos and they put sexy music over it and it's all the times they like hug or they laugh near each other and it's because they're starving 
they've not seen yeah. it in anywhere else and so those little moments they're like oh my god and I I, I love it because if I'd had the skills the technology when I was 15 I'd have been goddamn making those montages oh, absolutely I was sort of trying to do my own montage just on my wall of like Mel C pictures <laughs> with like Angelina Jolie and then like a massive picture of Alanis Morissette oh my god and... I, I had the spy skills as well I moved myself we had this attic that wasn't converted it was just still an attic with like that um asbestos on the ceiling and like plywood oh. floor but I moved yeah. myself up there for privacy when I was like 13 that sounds safe lovely just had a bed and asbestos but I covered every bare beam with pictures of the Spice Girls, but not just posters. I would like, if they're in the newspaper, I cut their individual faces out. Like like the stalker from the bodyguard. That Have was I me. told you my Mel C story? No. I appreciate this is not a podcast about me. It's very much about you. Please don't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but I... Okay, I'm about to drop a name. Alan Carr Clang, who is Clang, um, Clang who kind of who, who, who a close personal friend. Well, I mean, I've supported him on tour, and he is he is a pal, and he's lovely. Um, he texted me and said, "Do you want to go and see All Saints? They're doing a revival show at Coco." And I said, "I'd yes. of course, I'd absolutely love to go with you as well." And this is a good few years ago, so we go, and it's very exciting being around Alan because he's super like, not, not just because he's super famous, but he's super funny. Mm -hmm. He's just super great to be around anyway. So we go to this thing, we get, we're in like a great sort of VIP section where we can see the show really well. And, um, then Alan says to me, Oh, Mel's over there. And I looked over and it, it was Mel C. <sighs> and I was, um, sort of lost for words and Alan was like oh you used to love those didn't you used to love the Spice Girls and I was like yeah he was like do you want to meet her I know her and I was like um okay and so I walked over and I was I, what did I say I said something that was super embarrassing I said something like you really meant a lot to me Oh, <laughs> and then Alan sort of looked at me and he was like okay I think Susie's had a moment I'm gonna take her away now oh jeez oh, but it was it was real they were important weren't they they were like so important they were a big moment I used to fall asleep every night listening to their cassette looking at their looking at their pictures on my wall and then I had like my English book was covered in Kate Winslet and Judy Dench and Julia Roberts <laughs> I love that Judy Dench is in there. <laughs> Eclectic taste. <laughs> what was she in at that point? God, I don't know. Uh, loads of stuff, well, I guess. Like time goes by. <laughs> <laughs> I was a big fan of It's Time Goes By. I mean, it's, it's a great sitcom that stands up. Um, it stands the test of time. As time's gone by, it stands up. It's just... <laughs> I love that Judy Dench was in there. I know, I was obsessed with her, all of them. I just sort of wanted to, like, oh, lap I... it all up. Did you do you have a do you have a memory of watching Titanic and seeing Kate Winslet's <laughs> Do I have a memory? I watched it six times in the cinema, over and over. Right. And I used yeah. to do this thing again. I, I was only I was eleven, and it was a twelve when it came out. So I had to. There was sometimes I'd go to the box office and I wouldn't get in, and I'd feel like I'd been kicked in the stomach. But I'd go back again, and I, so I didn't know I was a lesbian yet. But I knew I wanted to watch it on my own in the front <laughs> row with no one talking. And I this is real. When the credits would roll, I used to whisper to the screen, but in my mind to Kate, I'll be back. <laughs> oh, baby. Because I was like, I will, I promise you, I will come back next weekend to watch this again. It meant <gasps> everything to me. She was I, a heartbreaker. I, we had, there was this, there's some stuff that's not similar, but there's some stuff that's very similar about you and I. I think it's, we're also a really similar age, but yes. Oh, I remember when 
when you saw Kate Winslet's boobs, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> good boobs. I mean, I I was beside myself. <laughs> I was next to my mum, I was like. Oh my god! Oh my! And everyone, you know, everyone's just acting like it's normal to see yeah. Kevin's boobs. And you're like having to flap, so flap your collar to, to cool yourself down. She was so beautiful. So beautiful. Right? Her costumes, oh. her hair. Oh my god! I, I like the making of the Titanic documentary came out. Oh. I got that. Had the yeah, soundtrack. But then they also released not just like the sort of Celine Dion track, but the track, the, the CD that was like a double CD, 30 tracks of just the orchestral music. Got that as well. Why wouldn't you? There is nothing more faithful than a lesbian. We're so no. loyal. As a fan group, we really lock on. I saw Alanis Morissette two years ago at a festival and I sang all the words really loud and then cried. <laughs> I just weeped. That's also very lesbian. I went through a period when I got over Kate, I got really into Evanescence. Bring me to life. Yeah, bring me to life. And I had a, a, I started my own little duo with my cousin who could play guitar and we'd sing all the songs. But I also ran uh, a fan group, an online chat group to just sort of praise the the band. And it was all I did. I wrote poems about her in love came to london so i could watch a gig of theirs and then we met oh god this was like the best night of my life my cousin was all andrew is amazing guitarist just, just to be clear kaylee has won a bafta go on this is the best <laughs> night of your life <laughs> um, andrew's also a really good drawer and it'd be my birthday is this a drawer of the word an illustrator artist artist that's the word he drew sure. me a picture of amy lee that was fucking incredible and i brought it to london with me and then me and my friend laura johns we hung poor laura she just had to endure my obsession we hung around at the stage door for ages and then they were going to this after party we were like 17 and we followed them to the after party in some club in london and we just waited outside purely the plan was maybe when they leave we'll see them again but then some like journalist left the party and I sort of boldly was like, oh my God, were you in there? Is the band in there? And he was like, yeah, do you want to go in? And I was like, oh, yeah. And he like ripped his VIP sticker off his top and he slapped it on my chest. And me and Laura got to go into this party. And I was like shaking. They were all in there. They were having a drink. And I saw Amy go to the toilet. And I, I had this picture with me because I wanted her to sign it. And I, I followed her into the toilet. And I was like, hey, I just want to say I'm a really big fan. And I drew, the, I drew this of you. And I lied and said that I'd drawn Andrew's picture. Would you sign it? And she gave me a hug. I was like, thank you so much for coming. And then she was like, and is this for so me? So you didn't mind it when she hugged you? No, 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 Other no, people. no. <laughs> that was very okay with that. <laughs> I was like inhaling her neck. And then she was like, and thank you for the present. Can I keep this? And in my head, I was like, no, because you've just signed yeah. it. I want it. So I was like, oh, no. <laughs> is it okay if I keep it? But I could send you a copy. And she was like, do you know what? I feel like I trust you. I'm going to give you my email address. And she gave me her email address. And I went home, emailed her. I can still remember the email to this day. I'm sure it's not the same because it was a ridiculous email, but I won't repeat it. And I sent her the picture and she never, she sadly never replied. But can you imagine the gall of that? She thought I'd given her a gift. And I was like, oh no, no, that's for me because you've touched that. So I, I need to keep that. I need to keep hold of that. Yeah. And I basically, as far as I know, I flew back home to Wales. I was on cloud nine. Oh, what a night. I love it. Yeah, I mean, that, I still, I still, that is the best night of my life. Sorry, BAFTAs. No, it feels like um, sort of TV and film, it's really coloured your life. Mm, and massively. I get, you know, now you work in it. And is that, 
the next thing for you, and I know we've spoken about this sort of briefly a minute ago, but about I want to ask you about representation in yeah. telly because you're now in a position where you're writing stuff, you're writing, you know, your own show has done incredibly well. You're writing on one of the biggest TV shows. I mean, in the world, maybe Killing Eve. Like, yeah. what is what is the next thing that you would really love to do? Um, I'm working on two new shows. I'm sort of telling right. more personal stories from my life, but one is kind of like my late twenties, and and the other one is sort of like the prequel when I'm a baby, and it follows my mum and her sister-in-law. Right. But what that boils down to, what I'm passionate about is um, female stories, and there are there are men in my scripts, and I'm I mean it I mean this in the, in the nicest possible way. I don't care about male stories. I'm glad they exist. I enjoy shows where they um, happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of what I write, what sets me on fire is women. Is is the female friendships friendships in my life? The, I've got this T-shirt that I bought Emily that says sisterhood is medicine and I feel like that is true it has been true for me um Mm. and so within that lesbian stories is massively important I think there will always be that said it doesn't just have to be lesbian there will always be a gay lgbtqi storyline in anything Mm -hmm. I write but women working class women um domestic violence is a really a recurring theme in my work because I feel so so passionate about telling stories about that in a way that is not a hard pill to swallow because sometimes I think everybody can watch things about domestic violence and go, fuck, that was so moving. I can't bear to watch it again because it's upset me so much. Um, And so I feel passionately about finding a way to tell those stories where the pill is sweetened, where you can also laugh in that show and it doesn't feel like a chore or schoolwork to tune in. And then you almost have this sort of like, it's a Trojan horse, a subliminal message of how you can um, package that story in a way that isn't hard to swallow. Yeah, and you, that's exactly what you've done, I think, with mental health in in my skin. So I've got absolutely no doubt that you'll do it again and create more wonderful, brilliant TV. Oh, thank um, you, mate. Katie, thank you so much for talking to me and, and talking specifically about Kate Winslet's boobs. I think I brought that up. But um, but I'm glad. The, and if you hadn't, I would yeah, have. So yeah, There you go. So before uh, the, the last question every week um, is the same. And I guess we'll go back to, you know, when you felt like you'd been kicked in the gut because that girl had, had given the boy a blowjob or, mm-hmm. you know, when you felt like she'd let you down and, and the, the version of you that was, that was there. If mm-hmm. you could pick up the phone and ring her and give her a bit of comfort or a bit of advice about what's to come, what would you say? I think um, I would say you're not dirty. You're not someone who deserves to feel ashamed. And there is a world where the things that you think you need to hide right now become your biggest asset and just hold on. Because for me, that's when I look back at my teen years, it's woven with me feeling like I had to hide and feeling like if people knew the truth, dirty is the word, that they would think I was dirty. And so to call up and go, you are not, you are more than enough and you're a good person and you are going to be very, very loved. Perfect. Thanks, mate. Thank you. This has been an absolute pleasure to spend an hour with the roughster. (laughs) Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Kaylee. I loved listening to it back as well. I always love chatting to her. She's brilliant. 
so funny and I love the work that she creates. Now, I really have to, um, I really have to encourage you all to watch In My Skin. Uh, if you're listening in the UK, uh, you can find it all on the iPlayer. If you're one of our friends that are listening um, in America, it is going on Hulu. She's just found out. She's texted me today to say I can mention it. It's going on Hulu on the 30th of July. So look it up. It's called In My Skin. I'm sure you'll love it. As ever, if you would like to rate and review the podcast, that would be brilliant. And we've got one more episode of this series. It's coming up next week and it is with the wonderful Joe Lysett. So make sure that you tune in then. Until then, I'll see you next week. 